The truth is, uh, I think human beings have this predisposition to believe in a religion. So they think that they're irreligious. They think they're so smart that they don't need God. But what they have done is they've embraced global boilingism as their religion. You know, there's an apocalypse coming. There's a very narrow path to salvation. You've got to have sacrifices. There's some high priests that you have to listen to, of course. My guest today is John Ruddick. Great to see you, Tom. Thanks so much for having us. It's uh, 11 o'clock at night here in Sydney, Australia, down under. Uh, so, look, I have been a member of the New South Wales Parliament uh, for the last uh, almost a year. Uh, I'm, I'm representing the Libertarian Party. We're four, now, now, New South Wales is the largest state in Australia, so we're, so we're, we're, if we were, we'd be the equivalent of New York. What New York is to America is what uh, New South Wales is to Australia. And, uh, but look, I, we, ha we have in our upper house, it's quite friendly towards minor parties. Uh, and so we have quite a diverse, we have the two major parties, which are similar to your Democrats and Republicans. But then we also have in our upper house, which is like our Senate, um, the, the major parties both have about roughly a third of the chamber. And then the, what we call the crossbench, which is uh, minor parties from the left and from the right. And I'm one of them. So I've been here for, um, uh, for almost a year. Now, now the, the, the tradition in Australian parliaments is that a new member gets to give what's called a maiden speech. I think the PC brigade has renamed it the inaugural speech. Uh, but I, we, we believe in a bit of tradition, Tom, so we call it the, the, we still call it the maiden speech. Now, the, what happens at the maiden speech is it's where you get up and you sort of tell the parliament about yourself, you know, and why you're here. And the convention is, is that the rest of the chamber will all attend and they will all listen in silence, you know, and, and not, not interject. Now, most of these uh, maiden speeches, Tom, they're very predictable. They get up and they want to thank 50 people, 50 people that have helped them get them, the year, the year four geography teacher, and they want to talk about their family and they thank everybody in the campaign, blah, 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 blah. I had a lot of people to thank, but I didn't thank them in the maiden speech because the people that I did deserve to thank didn't want me to waste the maiden speech thanking them. Uh, there's other ways to thank them, and I, I hope they haven't been thanked. But anyway, so then what the, the standard speech is, they then say, you know, uh, then a crisis happened in their life, some personal crisis, okay? And then they're in the depth of that crisis, they got themselves out of it, and then they said, I'm now going to, like, try and help make the world a better place. I'm going to go into politics. And then they say a few little platitudes, if they're from the left-wing party, they'll say, I'm here to help working-class people, yeah? I'm here to help the trade union movement. And we'll conserve, yeah, the, 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 the right of centre party will say, well, I'm here, you know, because I believe in free enterprise, blah, blah, blah. But so we got up there, Tom, and we thought, okay, well, look, let's, let's get up there and give an ideological speech. And part of that speech, which I know will be of interest to you, I talked about the global boiling delusion. And I don't like to call it, I never fell for using the, line, the word, the line climate change. Uh, I always have liked to call it global warming. But then, of course, the UN Secretary General last, uh, last you know, six months ago, he said, oh, well, the age of global warming's over. It's global boiling because they had a few hot days in Europe. So I said, beauty, okay, Mr. UN Secretary General, on this occasion, I agree, it's global boiling. So I call it global boiling all the time now. And uh, so, yes, I, so I, I talked about how I got involved in, in this debate, Tom. And, uh, you know, I, 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 you, you were involved with the great global warming swindle production. Is that right? I just got off a Zoom call about uh, 10 minutes ago with Martin Durkin about these, uh, the sequel to that is coming out soon. Yeah. Okay, look, I, I want to get back to where we were, but I want to tell you an interesting story about that, that documentary, which was terrific. 
it was actually broadcast by our uh, our communist uh, state broadcaster here, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the ABC, which is as left wing as you can get. It's very powerful. I mean, I know you've got your PBS, but the ABC is, you know, arguably the most powerful media organisation in this country. They did broadcast at the, at the height of the hysteria in sort of 2008 or something. They gave a million disclaimers about it. Then they also put on afterwards a big panel to say how wrong it was. Okay, but they wouldn't do it now. Uh, just, just by, but anyway, the interesting story is this. We had a so-called right of centre prime minister called John Howard for about 12 years. And he had been in power from 1996 and he lost in late 2007. Now, he was typically typical of uh, so-called right of centre leaders in the Anglosphere, you know, the, the English-speaking countries. Typically, in the last 20 years, they don't believe in global boiling, but they go along with it. Because they think, oh, well, yeah, the polls say people are worried about it. So they go along with her. John Howard said, oh, well, yeah, I, I believe, I, I believe. They don't do as much as the left-wing parties in terms of carbon taxes and everything, but they sort of go along with it because they're weak. Anyway, so he, the equivalent of our White House in Australia is the, the Lodge. It's called the Lodge. It's a very nice house in Canberra where the Prime Minister lives. It's his, his official residence. When, the new, when he lost in 2007, the new Prime Minister then moved in, who was a left-winger. He loved global boiling, of course. And he wrote in his memoirs a couple of years ago, he says, you know, when I, when I moved into the lodge, and the Howards had been there for you know, 12 years, he said everything was perfectly cleaned out, everything was immaculately cleaned and everything else, but the Howards did leave behind one thing in the DVD player because I suppose if you're moving house, it would be an easy thing to overlook the DVD player. And Kevin Rudd, the new Prime Minister, wrote in his memoirs, John Howard had been watching the great global warming swindle. <laughs> And he said, see, Howard, and he, what he was saying is he's right. Howard didn't really believe in it. Okay, which is true. But what had happened, Tom, how, I'll tell you, I studied history at, at, at university and I loved history, all, all parts of history. I'm still, still, still just read about history all the time. And, uh, and I loved American politics. I remember I was 10 years old when Ronald Reagan got elected and I remember it very clearly. And I've just been very, very interested in US presidential politics. And I follow it very closely. Like a lot of my mates follow sport where we have cricket, uh, not baseball, and we have rugby league, not uh, gridiron, but yeah. But my sport had always been US presidential politics. Now, in the 2000 election, I uh, followed it very, very closely. I'm not a fan of George W. Bush these days, but I was a very big, very big supporter of George W. Bush in the 2000 campaign. And it was very dramatic that night, uh, as you would remember. You know, uh, Gore, Gore concedes. Uh, Bush says, fantastic, we've won, then Gore retracts 45 minutes later. And then it went on for five weeks. And I just basically sat at home for five weeks. I took five weeks off work and I just watched Fox News, uh, the CNN, just to see what the other side say. And I've got to say, Tom, I, I became quite impressed with Al Gore's political skills. He was dealt a, a bad hand. He'd gone and basically, I think he really wrecked the Bush presidency. He put, put Bush... Uh, he threw him off balance. You know, he was walking around saying, oh, Gore, uh, Bush is illegitimate, blah, 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 blah. And, Bu and Bush, not being a particularly impressive person, he sort of, it, it, it did sort of uh, weaken him. And then, um, anyway, but I, I became impressed with, with Gore, particularly impressed, not with him as a, what he stood for, but I thought, this guy is really smart and he really wants the presidency. So I started telling friends, I said, Al Gore is going to run for president in 2008. He won't be dumb enough to run in 2004. He'll think about it. 
but he's going to run for president in 2008. You watch. I told everybody for eight years. And then, uh, and then, then, yeah, sure enough, Gore starts making a lot of noise in 2006. The Inconvenient Truth, the Academy Award, the Nobel Prize, the media treaty. Now, by this stage, the Bush presidency is a mess. Iraq's going to hell. Uh, and, Gore, and Gore's like sort of the anti-Bush. And so the media just sort of let him get away with anything. And so what did he do? He, he, has, he, he, he re-embraced the cause that had initially rescued him in 1988. 1988, he ran in the Democratic primary, and he was the last of the Southern Democrats. When, I mean, it, you know, it's scrubbed from Wikipedia now, Tom. There used to be a page on Wikipedia called Al Gore Controversies. And when he ran for president in 88, he was pro-tobacco, pro-guns, pro-Jesus, anti-abortion, anti-gay. Uh, you know, he was, he, 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 he'd say, I'm a raging moderate, which at the time meant he was basically a Republican in Democrat clothing. Now, he embarrassed himself in that 1998 primary, got into a big brawl with Jesse Jackson. Uh, Jesse Jackson accused him of being a racist and had, he had some grounds to do it. And... Um, Gore had humiliated himself by the end of that. And he said, he said in early 1988, when he pulled out of the primary, he basically said, oh, well, look, you know, the party's moved to the left, so I've got to move to the left. I've just, you know, they, they sort of, a lot of them hate my guts now for being so right wing. So he thought, I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. Global warming. And he wrote his book, uh, which was the first time since John F. Kennedy wrote a book that a sitting U.S. Senator had bestseller on the New York Times. It was... Um, Earth and the balance. And that redeemed him in the eyes of the left. Communism was collapsing in front of our eyes, and the left needed another excuse to have a big central planning government. Global, global warming was it. And so when Bill Clinton needed a vice presidential candidate in uh, 1992, and Bill Clinton had some problems, womanizing, draft dodging. Well, or was a big Christian, uh, he, he was like a morals crusader. He was sort of like Jerry Falwell. You know, he used to campaign against lewd and satanic lyrics in rock and roll music, heavy metal, him and his wife. He, he put his wife up to it, poor old Tipper. She was just a pawn. And so uh, when, when, Gore, when Bush, well, sorry, when Clinton needed a vice president, he said, oh, well, I'll get this. You know, and Gore, Gore had been to Vietnam officially, okay? He sat around and smoked pot, okay? And never went anywhere near the front line, but he could, and he was only there for five months. And then he says, oh, I've, I've felt the call to become a Baptist minister. That got you out of Vietnam if you said you're going to go and study theology. So that's what he did. Anyway, so then he's Gore, he, the vice president, barely talked about global boiling during those eight years uh, with Bill Clinton. He, he was best mates with Duke Gingrich. You know, all those good reforms, those good economic reforms that Gingrich got through, um, that was with, in cooperation with Al Gore. Al Gore, when he, when, he, when he did have the presidential nomination in 2000 and he gave his acceptance speech at the Democratic Convention, global warming, which had saved him 12 years earlier and made him a big hero, he didn't mention it. I know he, he says one little line about saying, oh, we've got to be prepared for, you know, you know um, climate, uh, you know, unusual climate, but that's it you know, in 2000. So then in 2006... He's gearing up for this big dramatic comeback. And I said, look, he's going to run for president here. Now, I was wrong about him running for president. He was aiming for something bigger. You know, he wanted to be like this Mandela type figure, this Gandhi type figure, this sort of almost a holy figure. 
course, he's made a billion dollars out of it. It's hard to measure, but yeah, he's made a lot of money. And, uh, and, and I just, I, I could see through this con man uh, from the very beginning. And, and this is when all my mates who were basically you know, good right wingers, a lot, most of them were sort of shocked when I said to them, I said, you know, this global warming stuff is just an invention. You know, the, uh, there's nothing to it. And they were sort of shocked. They all believe it now. I said, Al Gore's just a Pied Piper. And I, there was five published biographies of Gore that were all published in the lead up to the 2000 election. I read them all twice, Tom. It's a, he, he really is a fascinating character. And I used to have a, a, a Google alert wherever Al Gore's name appeared in the media somewhere, I'd get an email about it. I just kept a very close eye on it. And I've just been sort of, you know, I've been, the, I've been the pub bore. I don't know whether that's a term you use in America, but yeah, the pub bore, you, the pub bore is somebody in Australia. They have, have a few beers and all they can talk about is one subject. Okay. Well, that was me on Al Gore for many years. And I just said, look, the guys, the guys misled the world. I said, it's very impressive what he's done. I mean, he, he's the most significant person this century. I mean, you can go to any country in the world. You can go to Botswana, Bolivia, Bulgaria. The media is talking about global warming, global boiling. And that's because of Al Gore, you know? And, uh, you know, now, now, unfortunately to Al, you know, like these people can't help making predictions, Tom. This is, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people have commented on the similarities between superstitious religion and um, global boilingism. And there's so many, tra- now, 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 crazy religious cults can't help predicting an apocalyptic date. Gore keeps doing it. Silly Greta does it, okay? And I, yeah. And the, and the great thing that's in our favor, of course, Tom, is um, weather's on our side. Mother Nature's on our side, okay? Because it ain't getting hotter, and, you know, despite all of the predictions. So, look, I just, the thing that has surprised me the most about being in this parliament for the last 12 months is the obsession with global boiling. Every piece of legislation is seen through the lens of global boiling. Everybody mentioned. And our right of center party, which are, you know, basically, they're like Mitt Romney's. That's what our party, our, 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 it's called the Liberal Party. They're basically Mitt Romney's. And uh, they, there's one or two good ones, not many. And, uh, you know, they, um, but in this parliament, you know, we've got a part, we've got the Labor Party, which is like your Democratic Party. It's, the only difference is that it's really still controlled by trade unions. And, um, and then we've got this sort of Mitt Romney party and they just, I'm just obsessed with global boiling. So all I can do is, all I can do is, and I try to do it every day when I'm in Parliament, Tom, I try to plead with people and say, you've all been misled. You've all been misled. So, uh, and in my maiden speech, which got banned by YouTube, I certainly made that point about everyone's been misled. And uh, yeah, I think up to 2 million people have seen it. It's easily the most looked at uh, maiden speech in Australian history. Um, uh, so we're proud of that. Yeah, I'm going to put up a link to that speech in the show description. I, I just watched it yesterday. It's fantastic work. I uh, commend you. Excellent stuff there. So thank you, uh, thank you. Yes. So how is it going in terms of uh, have in Australia? Have you hit a peak global warming hysteria yet? Um, look, the major media organisations um, have had a policy for ten years where they just won't platform skeptics. Now, Reuben Murdoch is an Australian. I think he's had to renounce his Australian citizenship, but he's still a very proud American Australian. Uh, and he's quite significant. He's got media outlets here. And he, I mean, he will, he's got newspapers. He's got the equivalent of Fox News. And so they will, they will, you know, 
largely, I give people a bit of a platform if they're skeptical. I think you've had some of them on your show. Uh, Peter Ridd and uh, uh, Malcolm Roberts is very good. Uh, but um, look, social media is the way we're going to win this. You know, the legacy media every year sort of erodes in its power and the social media grows in its power. Australia is, uh, is basically a fossil fuels country, fossil fuel country. You know, we've been independent from Britain since 1901. We had a, the, the, the British learned from our American cousins that when a colony is sort of matured enough and they want to be independent, just let it be independent and be, you know, let them do it with cooperation like they did with Canada. And uh, so we still have the British monarchy here, uh, which Americans don't understand why it's actually a good system, but we, we, won't, we, we won't talk about that tonight. But in terms of the, um, look, I think people are, look, you, if, if you work for a big company and you want to uh, let your colleagues know that you're a global boiling uh, denier, which is an Al Gore invention, of course, the term denier, which is, which is hideous, uh, you know, uh, term, but anyway, um, you'll 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 be in jeopardy of losing your job uh, with the big companies, and uh, I find that the people who are about ninety percent, at least eighty percent, global boiling deniers are the self-employed people because they don't have you know they're not fearful of losing their job. I, I find so often they can see straight through the nonsense. Uh, I really don't think people really believe it that much. But uh, there's, uh, look, I think the tide will turn. Our, our economy is driven largely by fossil fuels and certainly mining. And, uh, you know, and, and we've got China just up the road that we can sell a, an enormous amount of coal, coal to. We've got thousands of years of proven reserves of coal and it's just everywhere. And it's the best coal in the world. You know, the, I mean, the Chinese, we have a strained relationship with China. They can get the coal from somewhere else. But guess what? We got the best coal, and um, so, so look. I, I, I it, the tide has. Look, it, it, I mentioned before my interest in history. There are so many examples of history of mass delusions. Okay, and this is clear. It's got all the attributes. Got all the attributes of, of, of a mass delusion. Mass delusions do eventually peter out, uh, but it's hard to know how long this one will do. And as I said, Mother Nature is on our side, so eventually reality should kick in. Um, but uh, I, I would say the I saw a poll from uh, Pew Research, which does international polling. I've tried to find it on the internet, and I can't. It's probably Google's hidden it. But I have. Uh, I'm sure it's true. I saw that the country in the world that has the highest percentage of global boiling skeptics was the United States, and second was Australia. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> I think that. Uh, we will win this battle. I, I'm convinced of that. Uh, I'm not sure of the timeline, but I am convinced that I'm convinced that at some point people are going to be looking back and saying, "Oh my God, how did we how did, how did we get ourselves into that position?" One interesting thing for me is that if I look at my YouTube stats, maybe 30% of the viewers are from the U.S. and 70% are from elsewhere. It's kind of fun to see that there's a lot of people who want to hear this type of thing who aren't from the U.S. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention is. I, I don't know if you follow Net Zero Watch on Twitter. There's an account that's run from the UK that that is just full of encouraging stuff. Uh, just in the last week, uh, they have their finger on the pulse around the world. And the, there's so much a backing away from the, the whole Net Zero thing uh, in Europe and elsewhere that uh, people are realizing that uh, it's not politically popular to uh, to impinge on people's lifestyles for this whole climate scam thing. So I think just uh, very recently, there's been so much blowback, that's encouraging for me. 
it is wonderful to see what's happening in Europe with the farmers started in the, um, uh, with the Dutch and then it's happening in Germany and France. It's very good to see people are pushing back. The global boiling thing in particular affects what were at least once Protestant majority countries. So, I mean, most people in Asia don't even think about it, okay? The journalists will talk about it, but it's just not a big issue. Certainly not a political issue. Africa, Middle East, I don't care. Eastern Europeans don't really care about it. Latin Americans don't care about it. It's the Anglosphere and Northern Europe, the countries that used to be, uh, well, probably still majority Protestant countries. Okay, now why would that be? I think it's because the Protestants have stopped going to church. Now, I know there's still a lot of church girls in the United States, but it's still in decline, I'd say. But, you know, in England, I was in, I was in Berlin uh, 20 years ago, and, you know, the, the, the land that gave us the Reformation. And these big, beautiful Protestant cathedrals were boarded up. No one went to them. And, you know, church attendance is down in Australia. I think when people lose their... And Catholic countries don't fall for global boilingism as much, nearly as much as Protestant countries. Now, I think this is because the Protestants have lost their religion. They think that they've advanced beyond religion. But the truth is, uh, I think human beings have this predisposition to believe in a religion. So they think that they're irreligious. They think they're so smart that they don't need God. But what they have done is they've embraced global boilingism as their religion. You know, there's an apocalypse coming. There's a very narrow path to salvation. You've got to have sacrifices. There's some high priests that you have to listen to, of course, Mr. Gore and Greta. And, uh, you know, and, and, the, and, the, and the most evil people in the world are, of course, the heretics, the deniers, and they've got to be punished and hurt. So it's, all, it's, it's a religious delusion, and it's particularly affecting the wealthy, and the, 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 the Protestant majority countries are also the wealthiest countries in the world, with few exceptions, maybe Japan and others. But uh, th th this is what it is, and um, it's a... Uh, it's, it's the battle of it's the battle of the of our of our age, Tom. And so we're all very very grateful for you know your heroic efforts. So you're clearly a very good communicator on this, and I'd like to get your advice on what words we should be using. Like a global boiling, we should refer to it. That's a great uh, phrase to use. And someone else was on here saying we shouldn't say wind farms. We should say industrial wind facilities, something like that. Instead of green energy, we should say unreliable energy. Do you have any other uh, tips on what words we should be using or phrases? Well, look, you've given me three beauties there. I love it, uh, Tom. Uh, there's, there's one um, that's similar to the one you, you use. Someone, there is a very good group here in Sydney called the Climate Realists, and they're just terrific, big fans of yours. They say don't call it the renewables, which we have it shoved down our throat all the time in Australia. They say call it the unreliables. And people, I think that sort of cuts through because they are obviously unreliable. You know, of course, our government here is, you know, they've got this obsession with electric vehicles. Now, I love Elon Musk. I think he's a heroic figure. And if he can go and become the richest man in the world through selling EVs to gullible people, I say good on him. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're a libertarian party. So if you, have, if you can make your money, you know, without the party capitalism, go for it. But, uh, you know, the EVs, the EVs we've had, you know, particularly our left to centre party, our Labor Party, which is like your Democrats, they just love throwing subsidies at these EVs, you know, and, 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 and then people go and buy these beautiful cars, I hear. But, they, gee, they have trouble. They have trouble with these, you know, these stations to, to charge them up and you just hear all these problems. 
but the, yeah, the thing you think we, we've got uh, we we had a, we elected a Labor government about two years ago, and of course their biggest thing in the world is in saving the world from global boiling, and they're just throwing around so much money, Tom. And they ba- they basically said about two months ago because yeah, so many of these renewable projects are struggling commercially, uh, yeah, because they're not delivering a good product. So what they have to do is uh, they have to live off government subsidies. And so the government just the government the federal government recently said that they'll underwrite all renewable projects so they can't lose money. I mean, what a what a deal! What a deal! You can't, you're in business. The gov the federal government Australia is still obviously a very wealthy country. You can't lose money, and on top of that, the government's going to give you a ton of free money. What a business! And you know all these spivs, all these lobbyists and spivs are living off this renewable project. And you know if you it's all it's 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 all it's at the one hand, Tom, it's it's it it really should be so humorous to us. Okay, because it is just such a, a a a remarkable delusion that we found ourselves in. But it's not humorous because they're ri- they're ripping down our energy supply system and they're rebuilding it. And 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 Australia, Australia should we, we've always had such cheap electricity. Well, because we've got so much coal, we've got unbelievable amounts of coal. And we should have the and 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 having a cheap, reliable uh, energy system underpins everything. Underpins every single industry. There's not one industry that doesn't rely on 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 electricity. And so these these geniuses, these central planners, are going to you know they're going to rip down our wonderful coal fire uh, energy supply, and they're going to give us these unreliables. And uh, and our energy prices, of course, are just going through the roof. Okay, they just they just. I'll tell you, there's a big difference between Australia and America. You know, there's a lot of similarities. People come to Sydney and they think, gee, yeah, this is this is beautiful. This feels feels like America, you know. Was, yeah, nice at kangaroos and other few other different things, but there's a lot of similarities between living in Australia and living in America. But the big difference is, is you know, you had to fight for your independence. So we we got given our independence. We've never had a war in Australia on Australian soil, and 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 we've ne- we, we've had it so bloody good. Australia has got a population of about 26 million people. So we're about, we're about one-twelfth the size of the United States. We've got a whole continent to ourselves. It's unbelievable, okay? And so even with very, very average governments throughout our history, we've had a couple of good ones, not many, not, certainly not in the last sort of 50 years. Uh, we, had a, we, had a, we actually had a very good Labor leader in the 1980s. He was Labor, uh, the left-wing party, he basically copied Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan on the economic policies, and we absolutely boomed in the 1980s. And uh, but uh, we, um, but despite having uh, very, very underwhelming leadership, um, we're still rich, okay. And, and we were always frightened of Asia. Uh, and you know, we when we first became a, a country in 1901, and we had a federal parliament. The second piece of legislation they passed was called the White Australia Policy, okay, where we basically said, look, you can't come here if you're Asian, okay, which is you know, pretty racist. There's a ton of Asians here now, which is all good. But the, the interesting thing is we, we were scared of Asia because we were worried about being invaded. We only had 4 million people in 1901. And, and Asia's you know, got unlimited people, uh, a lot of poor people, and uh, you know, a lot of history of conflict, and we were worried about being invaded. And then the Cold War comes along and the Vietnam War and the Korean War and China goes communist and there was Indonesia's right next to us. They had a communist insurgency, a million people dead. 
And so we were worried about Asia. But what's happened in the last 40 years is Asia has embraced liberal democracy. Asia has uh, overwhelmingly, even well, China's not a liberal democracy, but certainly believe in free enterprise these days. So Asia's now booming. Driving around in Mercedes, they've got you know, beautiful, you know, still a lot of poor people, but there's a huge middle class in Asia. Now, what that means is, it means two very good things. A, very unlikely to invade us because they're all sort of peaceful and content now, and they, all they want to do is make money, good on them. And secondly, so they're not going to invade us, but they're also, they want our products. They want our coal and iron ore. And so we're, we're so fat and lazy in this country because we've just had it too good for too long. So when, when you see these protests in America, these heroic farmers, they're really out there fighting and good on them. Australians just sort of say, oh, well, she'll be right. She'll be right. You know, that's, uh, and, uh, and so, but I think it's going to get, I think the electricity prices are driving people mad. Uh, what, what, what we lack, what we lack is, is good political leadership. And I'm just doing my very, very best. You know, there's only one of me here in the New South Wales Parliament, but we're hoping to grow, Tom. And being on your pod podcast will probably get us a few more votes. So thank you very much for that. So I, we have to wrap up, I know, pretty soon, but I'm glad you brought up uh, the great global warming swindle because uh, the sequel is called Climate the Movie, and it's going to be uh, online for free streaming on March 21 everywhere. Oh. And we are going to have some in-person premieres, including in Australia. So I'm hoping that maybe uh, you could uh, have, if you have some time, you could attend a premiere there and take a look at the movie. I think you're going to like it. Well, Tom, let's look. Let's host it. Let's host a, a viewing in the New South Wales Parliament. We've got we've got a lovely theatre at. It's easy to organise. Uh, so, will you be coming to Australia yourself? I, I will not. No, but uh, offline, okay. maybe if you have a, a couple of minutes, we can talk this over. Well, look, let's do it. Absolutely. Let's do it, Tom. All right. Anything else you want to say before we go ahead and wrap up here? I'm going to, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the name Ian Plymer, Professor Ian Plymer. He's been on my he's, podcast. Yes. Okay, I, th I thought he might have been. Yes. Now he's magnificent. Now he, he is Australia's uh, most uh, sort of uh, well-known climate denier. And he's just been terrific from the beginning. You know, a lot of public figures and politicians in this country who are skeptics, they will publicly say, oh, well, we've got to support the coal industry and it's all going too far, but they won't cut the head off the snake, which is the science, okay? They won't have the guts to say, but Ian Plymer's just said it from the beginning. He says, look, it's hocus pocus. So Ian Plymer and I, about three, four years ago, we wrote a lengthy article, a 2,000-word opinion piece, and it was a joint article, which I was very honoured to write with him, and it is, it, it, it is about the, uh, what I was saying about the, the trajectory of Al Gore and how he's responsible for it. So I will uh, send that through to you when we finish, Tom. I think you'll really enjoy it. And, um, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, hopefully you can promote it in some way. Yeah, I, actually, I already have a link to that in the show description here. And actually, you did a YouTube interview, the two of you. I put a link to that interview, too, from 2021. It's in the show description oh, here. Right. Well, you certainly, you certainly do your research, Tom. I'm very impressed. It is a behind a paywall, but everybody in the world gets five free Spectator articles a month. Oh, okay. So if your viewers, your, your, your people in America should be able to click that link and read the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about Albert Arnold Gore. I'm really looking forward to your next film. Thank you so much. 
All right. Thank you very much for taking the time. John Ruddick, we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye.